0: thing of sun lotion. So go to page1books.com. Page one with the number one. So page1books.com and check out my page one books summer bundle. Buy it as a gift to housewarming if you actually go somewhere or just give it to yourself. Everybody needs a treat. We've had a long spring. <laughs> page1books.com. This is Day 5, the last day of this week for my July Book Blast, and today is Fiction Friday. I'll be releasing a few episodes of novels that I think are pretty awesome and can't wait to introduce you to these authors. I'm doing the July Book Blast because I interviewed a lot of people during quarantine and the books came out during quarantine and I would love them to get the airtime they need now to get the word out. Also, a lot of these books are great beach reads and if you have any time this summer, I would love for you to hear more from these authors directly. So please enjoy Fiction Friday and stay tuned. This whole week was Memoir Monday, Debut Tuesday, Beach Reads Wednesday, Thrilling Thursday, and now today, Fiction Friday. I hope you've had a chance to listen to a few this week and enjoy this one. Bye. Lynn Stegerstrong is the author of Want, a novel, and also Hold Still. She was born and raised in South Florida and has an MFA from Columbia University and teaches writing. Welcome, Lynn. Thanks so much for coming on. Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm I'm <laughs> moms definitely don't have time to read books right now. <laughs> Isn't it even
0: harder now? Do you think it's even harder with everything going on? I mean, it must be.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I, my husband is, is commuting to work. So I'm also, I'm by myself with my kids all day. So yeah. And I get up very early, but yeah, I haven't been reading very much. Yeah. It's hard. It's yeah. hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard.
0: Yeah. But your book, I made time to read. <laughs> Thank you. So that's good. So your, your novel is called Want coming out in July. Mm-hmm. Tell listeners what Want is about and what inspired you to write this book?
1: It's about a woman, a mom who, I mean, the short answer is she declares bankruptcy and she gets in touch with an old friend. But I think, I hope it's about sort of being a woman and motherhood and privilege and sort of the particular fact of trying to want when you've been told you can have anything you want and then realizing that that's not true. Yeah, I think, I mean, I I started at the start which is to say I started with the opening scene. I started with this idea of a woman. I mean, I, I was really interested in someone who's going through a lot and who on paper seems like she's struggling, but also has an obscene amount of privilege. So I started with a woman who walks out of her job and literally disappears and realizes no one notices And so I think that idea of like who has the power and privilege to disappear was a lot of what started the book for me.
0: I feel like the book throws you right into this woman's sort of I don't want to say nonchalance is the wrong word. Her like ambivalence about everything, like her lack of being able to feel it all, right? She's like going through the motions and like the way even do you describe the scenes in the shower with her husband and yeah. everything is just so like matter of fact and like she gets it done and then she moves on and then she like, you know, she's like catatonic, which I feel like is a state so many people can get to when they're not like fully happy in their lives. Right. And you just like, you didn't even have to say it. It's just, you just like illustrated it with your words. So I don't know. Yeah. That's great.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think the idea of ambivalence was sort of one of the grinding factors and I was constantly like, okay, so if something seems one way in the next scene, I wanted to almost seem the exact opposite. Right. Like if a character seems sort of good or nice in the next scene, I want the reader to see how also they're another thing. The, the the idea of like everything being not only, but also was, was I think running through my head a lot.
0: And you had your main character, like obsessed with her childhood friend, Sasha. Am mm-hmm. I getting that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why? Like, what was that about? Did you have a friend that you like stalk on <laughs> Facebook or something? Like, how did you come up with that as a device or was it from life or what?
1: I mean, I think that we're all sort of obsessed we have, I at least have like very intense female friendships and in a lot of ways they've been formative to me in ways that both feel familiar in terms of, I think a lot of my friend, and again, like they're my friends, so whatever, a lot of women have those experiences. But I think, again, with regard to this idea of like motherhood and womanhood, I think that our mothers are our models, but I also think that the other women in our lives become our models in ways that we don't always realize So for me, Sasha especially was this sort of way, you know, I think when we're teenagers, we play at being grown up and we don't realize that sometimes our actions have grown up consequences before we're ready to know what our actions are, right? So I think Sasha's there to sort of show how when the main character tries to love people, she doesn't have any other model besides her own mother and her own mother is not a great, model. And so then when she tries to love Sasha, she accidentally does things that as a grown up and as a mother to her own children, she would never do. And she regrets. So I think it was sort of this, the obsession was with another female character, but it was also this sort of obsession with wanting to be good at taking care of people and not knowing how to do that well.
0: Interesting. I love how you like took it all the way back to when Sasha, what is the narrator's name? I'm like blanking on this. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. That's my name, actually. How yeah. can I forget this? Yeah. Anyway, and when they contrast even how they grew up and how Elizabeth was saying, you know, her house was much bigger and it would seem like maybe that would make for a happier home when in fact, not at all, the, the exact opposite was home and her parents would just like stroll in and barely acknowledge her. And then in Sasha's house, which was much smaller and they didn't maybe have as much privilege, it was all about the love and like, you know, what was... Missing, right? I feel like so much in female friendships, you look for what you're missing in yourself a little bit, (laughs) try to fill that gap. So anyway, thought that was neat.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, I think that privilege, right? Like it's that such an elastic, slippery word. It's like okay, on paper, Elizabeth's family has more, but in reality, it feels like Sasha's family has more. But also, the other things are true too, right? Like also, Sasha has more student debt than Elizabeth, so
0: you know. And I read one of your articles on Catapult about writing about how you had dinner with your family and you wanted to write a story about them, Mm -hmm. but then you'd have to like make them characters and Mm -hmm. maybe they wouldn't be perfect characters. And I was just wondering how you ended up with fiction. What, if you ever did attempt to sort of fictionalize your own family, if that has crept its way into your novels and, and just how you ended up becoming a novelist, really?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it all creeps in. And I think people who say it doesn't are lying, (laughs) but you know, I think that I have tried to write nonfiction and I've actually written a bit of nonfiction, but ultimately, like, I think I always return to fiction because I think that scenes are the most at least for me, they're the thing that I'm best at. And I think they're they're the best sometimes at communicating ideas, not least because I don't really want to make any arguments. Like you said, like I'm really interested in ambivalence. And the best way I think to sort of make readers sit inside of spaces of not knowing or this sort of like everything is often more than one thing at the same time is to just depict scenes as sort of carefully and precisely as I can. So that's sort of how I I think continually return to fiction. I'm trying to think of all of your questions. I think I know. You know sorry, I like loaded them no, all up at once. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, I think again. I think I think the sort of particular way that I was loved, and the particular way that I think that love is always flawed, and that we always kind of hurl that word at one another, but fall short in different ways. Like obviously, that came from personal experiences which then I think is also how I became a novelist, you know, in terms of like, I think I became a writer in some ways because I felt like I was saying things and I was given language, but that language never matched up with the experience. And it was just sort of this long process of trying to find language that was effective enough that people heard what I was saying. You know, there's that great, we. I had this New Yorker cartoon when I was in college, maybe, or 20s, or I don't know, that was like this girl sitting in a window saying, dear mom and dad, like, you gave me a good childhood. And as a result, I can never be a writer, which is silly and funny. And like, you know, my parents love me very much. But it was it's a funny, I feel like everybody who becomes a writer, I think, in some ways has experienced some not I feel like trauma is too strong a word. But I think specifically trauma around language, right, that like words have been used against them in ways that makes them want to kind of reappropriate that power in some way by saying, okay, I know how powerful language can be. I want control of that. And I'm going to sort of enact that on other people.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. That's an interesting theory. I'm going to test that out. No, I like it. I mean, I fully agree that, you know, I have a, I have a girlfriend who came to this one like book event I had and all these people were talking about, all these authors are talking about different books. And she was like, you know, I think I've just had like too happy a life. She's like, nothing really bad has happened to me. And she's like, I feel kind of badly saying that, but like my parents are happily married and like very lucky and I have a nice marriage. Anyway, so I do think there's something to having had some sort of pain that you can, you know, that can infuse your writing in some way. I think it, it generally helps, but something has to inspire yeah. you or you or maybe not I don't know now I feel like writers are gonna be like no nah, nothing bad happened to me but
1: yeah no um, and I and I have I have plenty of friends with and again I put myself in this category in a lot of ways who had very idyllic ch- childhoods it's also just I think more a relationship to like recognizing the ruptures in your life and other people's lives and then like thinking about how those shift your experience. You know, like I think if you're paying a lot of attention, which I would argue is like the one rule of being a writer is to just pay a lot of attention. If you're paying a lot of attention, like you see sort of all the fissures and ruptures, even if they're not necessarily happening to you.
0: Love that. (laughs) This is great. (laughs) So you, and you teach writing too. I do. Yeah. So tell me about some of the things that you tell your students, like, give me like a Sneak me some information that you share share
1: with them. Well, I always have my first I do a lot of generative. I try to do a lot of generative writing in almost all of the classes that I teach, which is to say that I think that language is as much generative as communicative, which is another way of saying. so you have an idea and it's in your head and you think that you can just pop it in a word. But I don't believe that that's true, right? Because, language is a limited object, right? And I might think I feel love, but my idea of that word love is very different from your idea of that word love. So already there's like a disconnect, right? But because language is separate, we can take language and we can see what language can teach us, right? So that's a long-winded way of saying, I think it's really important that sometimes you write and not think about what you're writing, but just keep going. So I make my students do a lot of that, especially in the beginning of our... Different depending on the class I'm teaching. And and I guess in that vein, the first assignment I always give them, which is stolen wholly from Amy Hempel, is to write the thing that destabilizes your sense of yourself. And that can be both you as a human, but also you as a writer, right? So depending, like I teach grad students and Whatever. And, and also, just depending on the mood you're in, right? Like, some of us don't necessarily want to be sitting in a room with a bunch of strangers crying. So, like, you know, so you can always write the thing that destabilizes your sense of yourself as a writer, but you can also write the thing that destabilizes your sense of yourself as a human. I would argue they're connected. I'll also say, just for whatever it's worth, I don't ever make people share any of this. And again, I think that's an important part of being a writer and writing and finding a way to saying something worthwhile is you have to inhabit spaces where you're like, I will never share this with anyone ever. What would I write if I gave myself that space? And then maybe just, you know, 17 drafts later, you might find yourself in a space where you would share it, but to make sure that you sometimes sit down and say, no, this is just a secret. And I'm seeing what that secret feels like in language. That's the one other thing. And then I'll stop. But that's the one other thing I think I tell students. And, and the thing I I hope my books feel like is that like one of the thrills of reading, which is like different than most other, you know, we have so many forms of storytelling at this point. But I think one of the thrills of reading that I want to give readers is the thrill of like secret sharing. And you can't you sort of take it that energy of secret sharing if you're never sharing secrets. You know? <laughs> Or what feels like secrets, you
0: know? I feel like secrets are another motivating factor in writing. Yeah. I feel like anyone who has held a secret, which is basically everybody in some form or another. Right. Depending on like the level of destruction that that secret has wrought in their lives, like I feel like that informs so much, so many stories and entire novels. and Totally. Yeah. There should really just be a whole thing on like write your secrets and write your secrets on the way to your novel or (laughs) something like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that's, that's another, that's another sort of writing exercise I give students is it's just like share a secret, but also share a secret with someone for whom the secret is high stakes. Right. Mm. So it's not just like, it's like write that letter to the mom character in the book that if like she got that letter she would cry, right? Because that's also it, right? Is it sort of like, how do secrets function as sources of tension? They almost always do if you look at the right people.
0: Hmm. But then it's the trick of turning those into fiction, right? Yeah. I mean, like when you, when you said that first prompt, something like popped into my head that like happened in college that I was like, oh, like which I haven't thought of in like forever. Yeah. But then I was like, well, no, I couldn't write that because like I could never share that. Yeah. And then I was thinking, well, you know, maybe that would be interesting in a novel. But you know, then I, then I would get on a call with somebody and yeah. say, well, did that really happen to you? And then what would I say?
1: Yes or no? Or- <laughs> no,
0: but,
1: but what you would say, right? Like fiction, I mean, this is, and this is why fiction's so fun, right? Is that like, you would turn it into something concrete that's separate from the secret, right? So like, for example, and this is giving away a part of the book, but like, no one has ever offered my family money for my husband's sperm right like that's it that's a detail in the novel but what has happened i think in my life is that i've had a complicated relationship with my femininity and my husband's masculinity and my ability to make babies in my relationship right and so i've thought a lot about that again no one's ever offered me money for my husband's sperm but that idea that sitting at a dinner and having someone say we think that your husband's ability to procreate, we think your husband's ability to make a home is more powerful than yours is absolutely a thing that I have felt, right? Mm -hmm. But then in fiction, it becomes this very specific scene with a very specific action that has consequence, that has like other people to interact around it. But in my life, it's just a thought, you know?
0: Wow. That's really neat. This is great. I feel like I've just taken like a little mini writing tutorial here. I'm yeah. like so
1: inspired. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> no, I'll send you, I'll send you some writing prompts when we're done. I love, I love writing prompts. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I actually subscribed. There was a, I can't even remember what it was called. Somebody did like pay 50 cents a day for a writing prompt or something like that. And every day she would like send a writing prompt. Anyway, I ended up deleting it and like, I don't, (laughs) I'm like, I don't have time to write right now. So I'm not writing. But the whole idea of like everything sparks all these stories and they're all like tucked away. Like, I feel like, I don't know about you as I get older, I feel like I'm probably much older than you, but like, if someone says like, tell me a story from college, I'm like, I don't know. But if somebody reminds me of a specific thing, like somebody I went to college with, of course it comes back, but you might not think of it until you have like the, I don't know. Right. Like the, I don't know, the red carpet that rolls out right to that moment. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and you also think about, again, like I had a grad school professor, Victor Laval, who's a genius. And he was talking about sort of, you think about how you remember an experience as a feeling, right? But actually, feelings have logistics, right? So he was talking about, he was writing about a depressed college kid, and depression inevitably feels really one note, right? And like I think I'm playing that with that in my book too but actually a ton happens like in my book i think a ton happens but also like he his description was okay but then i remembered like i was a depressed kid who smoked a lot of weed which meant i had to interact with my dealer which meant that was sometimes funny and actually i ate a lot of food which a is like food is super like i'm sort of obsessed with food is like a really useful space to think about families and relationships and etc but you know you think about the thing that you felt. And as writers, we often want to talk about our feelings, right? But then you think about like, there are usually logistics and rituals around those feelings and those can provide scenes. Mm. I don't know. So great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, know, I hope, I don't know.
0: Tell me about the process of writing want or, and how it differed from your first book.
1: I wrote, Hold, Hold Still was my first book and it came out and I wrote it and I was not very happy with, the reception, which I think most writers are sort of like, my dream came true, and like, I still have to do all the, I'm still myself. And that's, it's a, it can be a jarring experience <laughs> to still have to be yourself. So then I wrote this, I wrote this, I had this big, complicated novel that I spent a few years on that was like nine point of view characters. Anyways, long story short, after a few rounds of submissions, it did not sell. And so I was pretty devastated, but also pretty much like, okay, well, I tried and it didn't work. So now I'm just going to do whatever I want. And I, I started getting up. I tend to get up pretty early. I started to get up around three or four instead of four or five and rode a bunch. And my kids were in camp for, you know, there was like this very short period of time. I usually have three or four jobs at a time and for that period of time I, I think I'm I had one job one or two jobs on and off but like many fewer jobs than usual and needed to do much less childcare than usual and I just like was a little bit of a crazy person I was probably very hard to live with I was getting up at 3 or 4 I would write until my kids woke up I would take them to camp I would write until it was time to pick them up I would watch them slash let them watch television I would put them to bed and I would write more. So it came, it came out very, very quickly and it was sort of intense and unsustainable. (laughs) And then I had a draft and then the draft, you know, once I have a draft and this is always true, once I have a draft, I can sort of calm down because I know what it is and I feel like it has the energy and the rhythm I want it to have. And now I can sort of like do the stuff that feels more like the actual work of like, Figuring out how to put the pieces together, but yeah, I mean the process was very intense, and again, probably not super fun for my husband. But yeah, <laughs> what time
0: would you go to sleep on the days you were waking up at three?
1: Like ten or eleven, because again, I'd work. I'd work again once they once my kids went to bed. But also, I think, and I don't know, you probably, I don't know if you feel this as, as a parent. Like, I also just need like some time when no one needs anything from me. Even if I don't, you know, like even if I don't sleep and like to go real low and highbrow, like I'm watching Real Housewives, like I just need some time when like no one wants to talk to me. So I would, I also have to fit that in somewhere.
0: Every so often when a kid wakes me up in the middle of the night and it's like, I mean, I don't usually get out of bed ever before three. I try not to be in the threes, but sometimes they wake me up and I'm just like, my brain just starts going and I'm like, ooh, how nice I could like go into the kitchen. Yeah. And no one will walk over to the table and bother me. Yeah. I could do anything. I could read. I could write. I could prepare for all these podcasts. It doesn't matter. No one's going to talk to me. And so that alone is enough to get me out of bed in the middle yeah. of the night just to like enjoy the silence.
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's like, I feel like people look at me like I'm crazy, but it is a magic time, you know, like it is so, because it's also like this weird pressure to be productive and efficient which I feel very much right. Like just also as a person who has to survive in the world, but like, I feel weirdly at 4am, I can give myself a break, you know, like this morning, I looked at the pigeons, like I was up at four, I went for a run, but then I came back and I like watched the pigeons out our window. And at 530, that feels unproductive. And like, I need to start doing something. But at four, it's like, nah, it's fine.
0: The other day, I like, it was like literally 3 30, and I was like, oh, this is, look at these cool shadows on, on yeah. the books in my office. And I start like taking all these pictures, and I'm like, what? And then, of course, I like put my little like card in my computer the other day, and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. What was I doing that night? Yeah. But anyway, I don't know. Yes, it's very, it's very nice to escape the chaos, the non stop, especially these days. I feel like it's yeah. just been, you know, and we've our little kids are the similar ages it's a lot it's a lot it's of a needs lot. to meet it's, it's intense a lot. so yeah yeah, yeah. Anyway. it's a lot <laughs> so are you writing another novel now what are you up to i
1: am yeah i'm writing i i like i said i'm mostly looking at the pigeons these days and like you say i'm trying to do sort of our <laughs> very hobbling version of remote learning cuz my kids are still doing that for a couple more weeks but i have a book that is about I think I mean it's interesting because I started it before everything that's happened but and I was thinking a lot about the climate as I imagine as I think a lot of people are but it was about a kid who goes missing and it was about making art but it was just you know it's it's very specific it's over the period of a weekend it's over the period of a holiday weekend and a child goes missing and the families go out in search of her but it's also about like trying to Raise people well and make art when both of those things in different circumstances could feel like sort of absurd endeavors in our current context. But I have had 167 pages of that book for a couple months now. And it's it's not, yeah, it's, you know, it's a tricky, it's a distracting, tricky time.
0: (laughs) But yeah, that is true. Do you have advice to aspiring
1: authors? Keep going. Keep going. You know, you're going to write. You're going to write bad things and also the things you write that are good people are going to tell you are bad. So keep going. And I think create language for and ideas around what you want to make, because you might be the only one who knows when you've made it. And you want to be able to sort of stand up and say, no, you don't like it or no, you don't want to publish it. But this is what I want to make. So if this is not what you want, then I will find someone else. But yeah, I mean just keep going. It it's such a weird slippery hard path, but the only people I know who have published books are the people who kept trying to write books. So yeah. Right yeah. Well,
0: thank you. Thanks for all your insights. Of course. Um, thanks of for course. coming on the show. And I will be thinking of you in the middle of the night.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. Enjoy. Enjoy your shadows. That's. That's to me. That's so like. That's like. It's so exciting because. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Good luck with your children and all thanks the things. You too.
0: <laughs> Thanks so much to listening to Fiction Friday, part of the July book blast of Moms No Have Time to Read Books. I hope that you found some really great reads this week. All five days I've launched tons of episodes so that I can entertain you and you can connect with stories and just feel a little better in the world knowing that these stories exist and that these authors are out there. So I hope you enjoyed all of these fiction Friday episodes and that you had a great day. And I hope you have a really great weekend and come back next week because I'm doing one more week, one more five days, I should say, of another July Book Blast week. And I'll have five new fun days then and then back to normal. But anyway, you can have a little like binge podcast fest or something. (laughs) Anyway, have a great weekend. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much to Page One Books for sponsoring today's episode. I hope you'll all check out my summer beach bundle at pageonebooks.com. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com.